Hello, Cry Out family. I'm so glad you can join us this morning. Uh, today is a special day because 28 years ago today, September 13th, 1992, was Cry Out Christian Fellowship's first service. And it has been a wonderful, amazing journey, and God has been so faithful through it all. Now, 28 years is a long time, and we've seen God do some amazing, wonderful things, but there's still so much work to be done and so many lives to reach. So let's continue to know Him deeply and make Him known greatly as we live, love, worship, and witness. So happy anniversary, Cry Out Christian Fellowship. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Esther chapter 8. That's Esther chapter 8. Uh, that's our text today, the whole chapter. We're now in part 8 of our series, The Providence and Sovereignty of the Unseen King. Again, Esther chapter 8. Now, before we get into today's text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. That was chapter 7, and it was a great chapter. So, it opens with the beginning of the second banquet, and the king and Haman just got done eating dinner, and they're just hanging out, they're talking, uh, sipping on some wine. And then, the text says, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Now remember, this is the third time he asked her this. Well, we already know that Esther doesn't want up to half the kingdom nor any of the kingdom. She just wants the safety and protection of her people. Now let's look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 7. Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, she says, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. Verse 4. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. Now, right at this point, friends, listen now, she reveals that she and her people are Jews. Let's read on. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. So she simply says, I wouldn't have bothered you, king, or even complained if we were sold into slavery. I, I could have lived with that. I, I, could, I, I could have handled that, okay? I would have said nothing, but I can't keep quiet. And I got to say something because me and my people have been sold for destruction, slaughter, and annihilation. The king then asked, who is he? Where is this man who has dared to do, do, excuse me, do such a thing? Well, little did the king know that this man was right in front of him. Now let's go ahead and read verses 6 through 10. Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this vile, wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. And you see, friends, the king realized that his right-hand man, the man who bore his signet ring, the man that he trusted with his own life, had deceived him and betrayed him and got him to issue an irrevocable decree that meant the death of his beloved queen. And he probably just wanted to kill Haman right there on the spot, so he had to go out to the garden palace to calm down, chill out, and stabilize his thinking. Let's read on. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg 
Queen Esther for his life. Verse 8, Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. Now, friends, to fall on the couch where the king, excuse me, the queen, the queen was reclining was a no-no, okay? It was a no-no. That was improper. Let's read on. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? So what the king does, he accuses Haman of attempting to rape the queen. Let's read on. As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they, they speaking of the servants and the eunuchs, covered Haman's face. So we know that the face of the condemned is covered prior to execution, right? We know that. Verse 9, Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had made it for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Hang him on it. So friends, Haman was caught. Listen now. Haman was caught in his own trap against Mordecai. Look at verse 10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury, or we could say his wrath, subsided. Now listen, it was the king who gave the order, but it was the judgment of God that controlled the circumstances to bring about Haman's death. Good place to say amen. And you see, Haman sowed anger against Mordecai, and he reaped anger from the king. He wanted to kill Mordecai, and the king killed him. You sow what you, come on, you sow what you, say it, reap. You sow what you reap. So Haman, the adversary, is out of the picture, right? He's now gone. But still one problem remains, and it's this. What will happen to the irrevocable, unchangeable decree or edict of the king? How will Esther and Mordecai solve this problem? Well, we're going to find out right now in today's text. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is Gloom Turned to Joy. Say that, Gloom Turned to Joy. I want to share three points with you from our text today. If you're ready, say, say yes. Come on, say yes. Number one is this, the rewarding of Esther and Mordecai. Write that down, the rewarding of Esther and Mordecai. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1, that same day King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. I want to stop there. Haman's whole estate, get this now, Haman's whole estate included his lands, his goods, his servants, cattle, and all the money he had treasured up. Now, this is interesting. It was Haman who wanted to take away the property of the Jews, but now his property is taken and given to a Jew, Esther the queen. Let's read on. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. I'm going to read that again. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he, Mordecai, was related to her. So we know that the king now knows that Esther is a Jew. We know that, right? Well, up to this point, the king didn't know that Mordecai, the Jew who saved his life, is related to his queen. Esther and Mordecai are cousins, which, listen now, which makes the king and Mordecai relatives by marriage. That's awesome, right? Look at verse 2a. Verse 2a, the king took off his signet ring, 
which he had reclaimed from Haman and presented it to Mordecai. So the king gave Mordecai Haman's place as second in command or second in authority. And so I want you to follow me here. Mordecai became to the king of Persia like Daniel had been to the king of Babylon, like Joseph had been to Pharaoh. Got it? Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. And, and I want you to follow me here. As, as the king gave Mordecai his signet ring, the real king, listen now, the king of king and lord of lords has also given us that same position and privilege. So I want you to follow me here. Just as Mordecai identified as a servant of the king, we are identified as servants of the real king. Just as Mordecai had access to the king, we have access to the real king. Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16 says we can approach the throne of grace with bold, boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Follow me now. Just as Mordecai was allowed to use the resources of the king, we are allowed to use the resources of the real king. Someone say amen. Look at verse 2b. Verse 2b. And Esther appointed him, okay, speaking of Mordecai, over Haman's estate. So Mordecai not only gets the signet ring from the king, second in command and authority, okay, uh, the one that the king reclaimed from Haman, but Esther gave the management of Haman's estate into the hands of Mordecai. Is that mind-blowing or what? That should blow your mind. In fact, Psalm 37, Psalm chapter 37, verses 34 to 36, Psalm 37, 34 to 36, I'm going to read it from the King James, says this, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Listen to what it says. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, in spreading himself like a green bay tree, yet, listen to what it says, yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. You know, wicked Haman, who had somewhat achieved everything, listen now, listen, ended with nothing. Not even one thing to pass on to his family. And this reminds me of Psalm 39.6. Write that down, Psalm 39.6, where it says, Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. You see, Haman tried to have it all. And guess what, friends? He lost it all. One might say that Haman had climbed the ladder of success, climbed the ladder of success, but it was leaning against the wrong building. Now, I want to say something. Esther and Mordecai were rewarded for their faithfulness, right? They both risked their lives to save others. But that doesn't, and you got to get this, and please listen up, but that doesn't mean that all faithful believers are promoted and rewarded. Now, if you're safe, say amen. God never, never promises that we will be promoted 
and rewarded here on earth. But he has promised that he's in control of our lives and our circumstances and that he will write the last chapter, love this, write the last chapter of the story of our lives. Now I want you to get this. If God does not promote us or reward us here on earth, he definitely will when we get to glory. Someone say amen. So point number one is the rewarding of Esther and Mordecai. Point number two, number two, is the request by Esther. The request by Esther. Now, now we know that Esther still needs to save her people from being exterminated on the appointed day, right? We know that, right? And you see, even though Haman is dead, the Jews were not yet safe. Now, what I love about Esther, gosh, what I love about her, is that wealth, prestige, and personal security could never satisfy her so long as her people were in danger. And you see, the most important thing in Esther's life was not her comfort, but the safety and protection and deliverance of her people. And she would not rest. Get that now. She would not rest until the matter is settled. Now again, Esther displays amazing, wonderful wisdom here. Now that she and Mordecai are in positions of authority, the timing is right. Say that. The timing is right to once again come before the king and ask him to put an end to the decree that will kill her people. Now also want to, I want to say this. I want to say this. Esther is a great example of one who intercedes, intercedes on behalf of others. Listen, her focus, her concern was on others rather than herself. I love that. She was others' focus. So, with that being said, a question, question. Are you concerned about others? Are you concerned about others? Who can you intercede for? Who can you pray for? Who can you stand in the gap for? Someone said one concerned person devoted to prayer can make a great difference in this world for prayer is the key that releases the power of God. I love that. So who can you intercede for? Let me, let me ask you this. Are you others-focused or self-focused? Esther was others-focused. She stands in the gap for others. Now, there's another thing I want to say about Esther. She may not be able to do everything to save her people, but she can do something. She can do something, and she does that. So, with that being said, there's a lesson here, and here's a lesson. We can't do everything, but we can do something. Write that down. We can't do everything, but we can do something. Hey, what does God ask you to do? What has he asked you to do? God is constantly asking us to do something. Now, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And I want you to follow me here. You can't witness to everyone, but you can witness to someone. You can't pray for everyone, but you can pray for someone. You can't help everyone, but you can help someone. 
You can't be there for everyone, but you can be there for someone. You can't encourage everyone, but you can encourage someone. Listen now, friends. We can't do everything, but we can do something, so do it. What has God asked you to do? Just do it. Now let's look at the text and let's listen to Esther's request, verses 3 uh, through 6. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Verse 4. Then the king extended, there it is, extended the gold scepter to Esther. And I want to stop there. This is the second time Esther came before the king's presence without being called. And we see that by extending his golden scepter, he graciously invited her to approach him. Let's read on. And she arose and stood before him. Now notice, now notice, she approaches the king with humility, modesty, and respect. So let's read on. Verse 5. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor, that's a, there's that word again, favor, and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. Verse 6, for how can I bear, listen, listen now, how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? So Esther again had to argue her case for mercy for the Jews, and she wasn't even sure if the king would grant it. Now, now the king could have easily have just spared the life of the queen and the life of Mordecai and let the rest of the fellow Jews perish. So, what was the king going to do, right? What was he going to do about the decree to kill the Jews? Because once the king, listen now, once the king has made a decree or an edict, he cannot rescind the decree. So what's he going to do? And you see, you see, he has to issue another, another decree or a counter-decree to override the previous decree. Well, let's see how the king responds to Esther's request, how he deals with the issue about the irrevocable, unchangeable decree, or we can say edict as well. That brings us to point number three, is the royal decree. Write that down, the royal decree. We first saw the rewarding of Esther Mordecai, the request by Esther, and now number three is the royal decree. Write that down, two subpoints. two subpoints. here we go. First subpoint is the proclamation. Write that down. The proclamation. The proclamation. Look at verses 7 through 8. 7 through 8. The proclamation. King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai, the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have hanged or impaled him on the gallows. Verse 8. Now write another decree. Listen to what he says. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you. Did you get that? As seems best to you. So this is kind of like a blank check. Let's read, it, read on. And seal it with the king's signet ring. 
For no document written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring can be revoked. Did you get that? So, so we know, right? Obviously, we know that the king could, could not legally, legally excuse me, revoke his decree, his edict, right? We know that. But he could issue a new one that would favor the Jews. And since Mordecai was now uh, the new prime minister, second in command, second in authority, it was his job to draft the new decree. He had complete authority to issue this new decree using the king's signet ring. Now listen, and I love this. Both Esther and Mordecai showed swiftness and great wisdom in how he handled this power to assist their people. Well, let's see what they drafted for the new decree. If you're still with me, say amen. Verses 9 through 12. Verses 9 through 12. At once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching out, stretching, excuse me, from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Verse 10, Mordecai wrote, in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring and sent them, listen, listen now, and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. Now notice two things. First, Mordecai had learned from Haman, I love this, the effectiveness of this type of advertising of the law. The second thing is this, there was a sense of urgency. Did you get that? A sense of urgency who rode fast horses, okay, especially bred for the king. Verse 11, the king's edict granted the Jews, listen now, you got to love this, the king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves. Now notice the irony here. To destroy kill, and annihilate. Where did we hear that before? Any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children and to plunder their property of their enemies. Verse 12, the day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. So this new decree gave the Jews permission to defend themselves, not the right to initiate an attack, rather to defend themselves against anyone who tried to kill them or take away their property. Now listen, Mordecai, you got to get this, Mordecai's decree was in complete harmony with God's covenant with Abraham. Genesis 12.3, Genesis 12.3. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. Isaac, Isaac uh, would have agreed with Mordecai for when Isaac in Genesis 27, uh, 29, 27, 29 said, curse be everyone who curses you and bless be those who bless you. How about when God in Exodus 23, 22, Exodus 23, 22 promised Moses I will be an enemy to your enemies 
and an adversary to your adversaries. Do you get that? And I love, I love what late James uh, Vernon McGee said. The Jew has attended the funeral of every one of the nations that tried to exterminate him. I love that. Verses 13 through 14, if you're still with me, say amen. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province, province, excuse me, and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Verse 14, the couriers riding the royal horses raced out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was also issued in the citadel of Susa. Now, once again, there was a sense of urgency here to get the new decree, the new edict, out. Now, notice the perfect order in which God moves behind the scenes. Mordecai is now in position, listen now, in a position of authority, right? He's now in a position of authority which enables him to draft a new decree. Also, notice the details concerning the timing. Because of this new decree, this gives the Jews nine months to prepare for this battle. Got it? For this battle. That's the proclamation. The second subpoint is the celebration. Write that down. The celebration. Love that. The celebration. Verses 15 through 17. 15 through 17a. 17a. If you're still with me, say amen. Mordecai left the king's presence wearing a royal garments, wearing royal garments, excuse me, of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. I want to stop there. The king wanted to make sure that Mordecai had a uniform worthy of his office. Now, blue and white uh, were the official royal colors to go along with a crown, probably uh, a turban, along with a purple robe to identify Mordecai as a man of great authority. You see, God's purpose, now listen now, God's purpose in all that's going on here goes farther than, this, listen, farther than sparing uh, of the Jews from destruction. He also purposed to raise up Mordecai as prime minister, second in command. Let's read on. And the king, excuse me, and the city, excuse me, the city of Susa held a joyous, joyous, say that joyous celebration, verse 16, for the Jews, it was a time of happiness, say happiness, and joy, say joy, gladness, say gladness, and honor, verse 17a. In every province and in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy, say joy, and gladness, say gladness, among the Jews, with feasting, say feasting, and celebrating, say celebrating. Now, obviously in, in, here in 15 through 17a, we see that they're celebrating, right? They're celebrating but aren't they still facing a battle? Think about it, friends, right? A life and death battle in nine months. Yep, right? But they're rejoicing. Now, I love that. And here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. 
We can rejoice in the midst of the battle. Write that down. We can rejoice in the midst of the battle. You see, and you got to get this, friends. If you're saved, say amen. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. It belongs to Him. And what comes to mind is King Jehoshaphat. If you know the story, the Moabites, Ammonites, and Meonites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat's like, there's no way in the world we can win this battle. They're too much for us. But then the Spirit of God came upon Jehaziel, and he said, listen, in 2 Chronicles 2015, 2 Chronicles 2015, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. This is what he says. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Love those two words, but God's. Amen? Say, but God's. See, the battle's not yours, friends. It's God. It belongs to Him. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Say amen. No matter what kind of trial you're in right now, no matter what kind of battle you're in the midst of right now, you can still have joy. Why? Because the battle is not yours. It belongs to God. Do you remember what James said? Huh? James 1, 2, and 4. We studied the book of James, right? Consider it pure joy. Pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. They were able to have joy in the midst of the battle. We are able to have joy in the midst of our battles and trials. Amen. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think this did to Esther's faith and to Mordecai's faith? How about the faith of all their fellow Jews? Listen, they went through this fiery trial. They went through it. And we'll see that they come out victorious in the next chapter. Now, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. The God of Esther and the God of Mordecai is the same God that we serve, we worship, and know today. He is the same yesterday, today, come on, and what? Forever. Got it? Forever. Now listen, church. There is nothing too big. There is nothing too great. There is nothing too difficult for our God. He's a big God. And I want to tell you, our situation may seem impossible. It may seem perplexing. It may seem complex. But don't forget, Romans 8.28, Romans 8.28 and we know that in all things, God, say God, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's God. Let's go back to the text. Let's go back to the text, verses 15b through 17a. 15b through 17a. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration Verse 16, for the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. 
verse 17a, in every province and in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. So I want you to notice, why did I, why did I want to read that again? Because I want you to notice about eight times, seven or eight times, happiness of one kind or another is mentioned. Got it? That being said, I want to point out something. At the beginning of this chapter, okay, in verse 3, Queen Esther is in tears. Remember that? It says she pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. But here at the end of the chapter, of this chapter, the Jews are rejoicing and they're feasting. Back in chapter 4, verse 3, remember that? Chapter 4, verse 3, it says the Jews were mourning, fasting, weeping, and wailing. But now they're expressing overwhelmingly, overwhelming joy and happiness. Someone say amen. Proverbs 11.10 says this. Proverbs 11.10 says, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. So the, this chapter begins with tears, with gloom, but ends with joy. Gloom turned to joy. Now listen, only God can do this. Only God can do this. Now if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, friends, there is hope in God in every circumstance of life because we live under the shadow of the Almighty, the one who can take care of all our needs. So, so there's no need to be downcast. There's no need to be depressed. We need to remind ourselves to put our hope in God. Got it? To put our hope in God. I'm reminded of Psalm 42, 5. Psalm chapter 42, verse 5 the psalmist was downcast. He was depressed. And he says this, Why, my soul, are you downcast? He's kind of talking to himself. To, to himself. Why so disturbed within me? Then he says this. He's kind of talking to himself. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Sometimes you just got to talk to yourself and remind yourself, listen now, about how great God is. Focus your thoughts on God. Yet praise Him. Yet praise Him. Yes, it's not easy. Yes, it's difficult. But I will yet praise Him. Amen? Warren Wiersbe said this, now the king that made the difference, excuse me, now the thing, the thing that made the difference was not the writing of the decree or even its distribution in the various provinces. The thing that made the difference was the fact that the Jews believed, believed the decree. It was Mordecai's word that changed their lives. They had hope, joy, peace, because they had faith in what the prime minister said. You see, the Word of God changes our lives, right? The Word of God gives us hope, joy, and peace. Amen? Romans 
15.13. Romans 15.13 says, May the God of hope, say hope, fill you with all joy, say joy, and peace, say peace, as you trust in Him. Trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Say joy. Come on, say joy. There's a lesson here. Here's a lesson. Be joyful. That's the lesson. Be joyful. Write that down. Be joyful. That being said, let me ask you a question, friends. Listen now. Are you a joyful Christian? Are you? Are you a joyful Christian or a grumbling, complaining, joyless Christian? Hey, listen, I realize, I realize, I get it. Life is tough. I get it. Life is not easy. But listen, because we have Jesus Christ living inside of us, we should be living joyful lives. Got it? Evangelist Billy Sunday said this. If you have no joy in your religion, there is a leak in your Christianity somewhere. I'm going to read that again. If you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Listen, you got to get this. The joyless worship, the joyless worship of many Christians sadly reveals an unfruitful spiritual knowledge of God, His Word, and His works. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, if we would display more of the joy of God in our lives, I'm going to say it again, if we would display more of the joy of God in our lives, maybe, maybe, non-believers would be more attracted to Christianity and willing to consider the message of the gospel. Amen. Verse 17b. Verse 17b. The last part of verse 17. And many, this is what it says, many people of other nationalities became Jews. Did you get that? Because fear of the Jews had seized them. This is the only mention in the Old Testament that Gentiles became Jews. Now listen, they became religious Jews, not racial Jews. It's likely that uh, even they renounced idolatry and became worshipers of the true God. And you see, as they saw God working on behalf of His people, they wanted, listen now, they wanted the same relationship with God. How awesome is that? Listen, when others see God in your life, when others see God working in and through your life, it will have such an effect on them that they want God too. They want what you have. Let's look at the text one more time. And many people of other nationalities became Jews. Listen now, because fear of the Jews had seized them. Now, you got to believe that the Persians were like, uh, let's not mess with the Jews, okay? Let's not mess with the Jews, okay? Did you see what happened to Haman? Huh? Did you see? It wasn't good. So let's not mess with the Jews. So the Persians, listen now, 
understood the underlying message of the new decree, that the king is in favor of the Jews. Therefore, listen now, therefore, no longer did the Jews have to go around the empire in fear, the empire in fear, but they could openly rejoice in their ethnicity. And instead of insults, listen now, instead of insults, they are now perceived as objects of honor. You know, I thought about it, you know, I thought about it. Their unrestrained joy, their unrestrained joy in the streets of Susa must have been an amazing encouragement to Esther and Mordecai in the palace. Now, as we wrap this up, I want you to write this down. Psalm, Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. Psalm 30, verse 5. Write that down. Psalm 30, verse 5. And I love this verse. It ties us all together. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy, say joy, but joy comes in the morning. Read that again. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Listen now. God delights to deliver his people when they need him the most. I'm going to say it again. God delights to deliver his people when they need him the most. Listen, friends. What may a day truly bring forth? If we would just trust God, if we would just trust Him, if we would just trust God, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So keep on praying, keep on serving, keep on witnessing, keep on singing, keep on giving, keep on reading God's word, keep on fighting the good fight, keep on running the race, keep on keeping the faith. Keep on loving him. Keep on living for him. Keep on serving him. Keep on praising him. Keep on worshiping him. Keep on trusting him. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So keep on, keep on, and keep on. Say praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I first want to thank you for blessing Cry Out Christian Fellowship with 28 years of ministry. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. And what a blessing, honor, and privilege it is to serve you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us with many, many more years of fruitful ministry. And Lord, thank you for today's message. And I hope that we all were blessed and encouraged by your word. Blessed and encouraged that though weeping may endure for a night, joy, joy comes in the morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Say amen. Now, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to your life, to be your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity to do that today. You see, in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Paul writes, today is the day of salvation. And if you want Christ in your life, you must admit that you're a sinner, acknowledge that you need a substitute, and accept Jesus as Savior. 
Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, not might, you will be saved. So that's you. If you want to trust him, invite him into your life and follow Jesus today, bow your heads, close your eyes, and say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life to change me, to cleanse me, to live in me, to save me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I'm saved, sealed, sanctified, satisfied, justified, purchased by the blood of Jesus. I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. And from this day forth, I will faithfully serve you until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Now, if you uh, prayed that prayer, we would love to hear from you. In fact, you can uh, email us at contact, contact at cryout.org. That's contact at cryout.org. Or if you made the decision, we'd love to hear from you. So God bless you all. Again, happy anniversary to uh, Cry Out Christian Fellowship. To uh, We thank God for his faithfulness. And uh, just have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed week. Love you all. See you next week. God bless.